and this is our second week on a series called The Family Ties, and I believe this with all my heart that God, His desire is for each one of us to be a thousand times bigger on the outside than we are on the, are on the inside, than we are on the outside. In other words, God wants me to be a lot bigger in my heart than I am in my physical stature. And when we become where we're bigger on the inside, God will begin to bless us even on the outside. He's got plans for you, and so I believe this is very timely for uh, you to be here. I don't believe you're here by coincidence. You know, there was a couple of days last week I was, uh, I was in the presence of uh, a bunch of young people for a number of days in a row, and as I begin to look on, just about just the lack of honor in our society anymore. And so I think this will kind of bring some of that into light today. Job chapter 1, verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz, just east of the Wizard of Oz is where that was. Not really. Whose name was, was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and he shunned evil. Now, if you'll notice there, it says he was blameless and upright. Now, to live that way, I believe he's telling us here that Job was a man of God who chose to live for God instead of live for people. In other words, I, don't, I really don't care what people are doing and saying, I'm going to live for God. And I believe that's big for each one of us that we begin to come to this point in our life. Now, he said he feared God and he shunned evil. It could be said this way, he feared God and because he feared God, he shunned evil. If I really fear God, I'm going I'm to get away from evil. I'm not going to do the things that cause evil to become an, an part of my life. Now, listen what the message says here. It says that he was honest inside and out. He was a man of his word, he was totally devoted to God, and he hated evil with a passion. Now, when I look at this, this is the place where God wants each one of us to be. I don't hate people, but sometimes we got to have a godly hate of sin. Love what God loves and hate what God hates. And so right here, we're going to talk this morning about living inside out, just like the message said there. Verse 2, and Job had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also, his possessions were, thousand, were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household, so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. Now... When you look at verse 1, you see that Job was a man that he was big on the inside. He lived upright and blamelessly, but verses 2 and 3 tell me about Job's life on the outside. All his possessions, all the things that he had. And so when I look at this, God wants you and me to be big on the inside and be big on the outside. God wants to bless each one of us in every arena of our life. But there's a balance. And where we get off as human beings is when we start putting more emphasis on the things of the outside than the inside. What would be the things of the outside? Well, when you put your home and a car and your uh, occupation, your dreams, 
I mean, sometimes people have this mindset, if we only could ever go to Hawaii, our life would just be wonderful. Well, it'd be wonderful for a few days, but then you got to come home. And so what happens is when we begin to put our stock in everything on the outside, guys, we're going to live unhappy. I don't care who you are. And so this is what I want to talk about a little bit today. Keep reading with me here. Verse number 6. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, the designated accuser, the, uh, the adversary, the one who was sent to dis disturb God's kingdom by cause and trouble. Now listen. And Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. The message says that he was just checking things out here on the earth. Now that verse was cross-referenced in the New Testament in the 1 Peter 5.8. 1 Peter 5.8 says the devil, your adversary, your opponent, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Just as he walked in those times, he's still walking in this time. And day by day, he walks to and fro, and he looks to see who he may devour. It doesn't say who he will devour. If the devil could devour me and you anytime he wanted to, he would have already wiped us out. But he looks for opportunities when we begin to open the door to him to come after us. Now, John 10.10 10 says the thief, the devil, comes but to kill, steal, and destroy. He tries to obstruct and hinder Anything of the kingdom of God right here on earth. He's still trying to do that. Keep reading with me. Verse 8. Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, it's interesting to me here that God himself declares this about Job. He said he's blameless and upright. And he says this to the devil. You know what the favorite part of that verse is to me? He says, my servant. My servant. And I believe that's the thing that me and you got to understand. We must become servants of the living God in every arena of our life. And he says to the devil, he said, have you noticed my boy, my servant? And I believe God still does stuff like this. He's aware of me and you. He's aware when we put on the robe of servanthood. Verse 9, so the devil or Satan answered to the Lord and says, does Job fear God for nothing? And that word for nothing means without reason. So in other words, he's saying, does Job fear God for just the sheer goodness of his heart, or is there reason? Verse 10. The devil says, have you not made a hedge around him, and around his household, and around all that he has on every side? And so the devil implies here, the reason Job is in the position he is, is because you put a hedge around him. Now I encourage you in your own personal time, read Psalm 91, specifically verse 11, but verses 11 through 16, well what does that say? Well verse 11 says that God has given his angels charge over us to keep us. 
So one of the blessings or the benefits of serving God is, man, when I'm a servant of God, God's going to put a hedge around you. He's going to put the angels around you. And I'm going to tell you, it's one of the greatest things you can pray each day. Say, thank you, Father God, that, that you put your angels. They're encamped about me and my children. No evil will befall us. Thank you, Father God. Now, this is what the devil implies. The reason he's this way is because you've got a hedge around him. Yeah, he does. And he goes on to say, And you have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. That's Psalm 512. You know what that says? God blesses the righteous, and his favor surrounds you like a shield. Well, tell you, as a servant of God, you ought to think that way. Woo, God has blessed me. I'm the righteous. Well, how are you righteous? Because of Jesus. Jesus made me the righteousness of God in Christ. And his favor surrounds me like a shield. Everywhere I go, the favor's upon me. Proverbs 13, 6 says that the righteous or righteousness guards him who walks blamelessly. That when I walk before God blamelessly, it's like he puts a guard around me. So the devil's implying this is the only reason that Job is what he is. Verse 11. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, all his outward possessions, and he will surely curse you to your face. In other words, the devil's saying, why don't you take away all these things and just watch how he'll curse you. Verse 12. And the Lord said to Satan... Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay a hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Now, when he says this, actually the devil is saying, you mess with all the things that, that Job has on the outside? And he said, we'll see then if he'll still serve you on the inside. Change his circumstances and let's see what he'll do. And so, in time's sake, I'm going to read a little bit more of chapter 1, but I encourage you, read chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this. And you know what it'll do? You'll realize in life you've had some bad days, but you've never had a day like this guy had. What is part of that? Well, look with me just in verse 14, and we'll read a couple of these, and you can get what I'm saying here. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabians raided them, and they took them away. Indeed, they've killed the servants. So right here on this day, these guys come and raid. They take all his donkeys, they take the oxen, and they kill, kill his servants. Doesn't stop there. Verse 16. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants. So now guess what happens? His sheep are gone and some more servants. Keep reading, verse 17. And while he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels, and took them away and killed the servants. So you know what's happened here all of a sudden? All his possessions are now gone. That would be like our cars, our transportation, our ways or means of making a living. Everything he had in the net is wiped out, but it doesn't stop there. And while he was still speaking, verse 18, another also came and said, Your sons, your daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, 
and they are dead. I read this and I began to look and I thought, I've had bad days in my life, but I've never had a day like this. And even in the midst of this, when it seems like all hell has broke loose in your life, what would you do? In a situation like that, if all your possessions are wiped out, all your children are wiped out, what do you think you would do? Look at verse 22, and I want you to show you what, what Job did. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Not once did he sin, and not once did he blame God. The worst day of his life. He didn't get mad at God. What's up, God? Why are you doing this? How could Job do this? I believe the reason that Job could do what he did in verse 22 was because he was bigger on the inside than he was on the outside. I want to make a point to you today. You can't live and make the things of this world more priority than God is. See, many times in our life, we put our possessions, we put our jobs bigger than Father God. That's it, man. If I lose these things, my life is over. See, this is where we make a mistake. Number two, and I'm not downplaying the importance of your children, but even in this situation, you know what Job said? Even above my children is Father God. Even as much as I love my children, if God's not first. And so what happens here, guys, many times we get out of order in life. God's got to be first. Above what you do for, even above your children. And I know this is rocking some of you. It even gets me and I think, oh my gosh. Do you know what I found out in life? The older your children get, you can't save them from going to heaven or hell. You can't live life for them. And many times this gets us as parents, you know why? Because we're used to calling all the shots. But I believe this in, in speaking on this, that when I get my life back in order and I place God first, things will begin to fall in godly order. Not just my order, but in godly order. Now go with me to the book of Luke, chapter number 15. Some of you are scratching your head saying, oh man, this is rugged, Pastor. Luke 15. Now what we're going to talk about the next few minutes here this morning, and, and I encourage you to get, get something to mark Luke 15. I'm going to refer to that several times this morning. We're going to talk about the four stages of maturity here this morning. That will help you in individual life. That will help you if you're married. That will help you if you are desiring to get married. Every area of your life, this is an area of maturity. Number one, Luke 15, verse 11. Then he said, Jesus speaking, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. The first stage of maturity here is the give me stage. Now, you know who begins there? 
Every one of us begin there. Every one of us. Biologically and spiritually. Biologically, when you come into this earth, the first stage of maturity is give me. How do you know that? Just listen to little kids. Give me, give me, give me. I want this. I want that. I mean, you take a kid to a store. that I want this. Go, go to Walmart this afternoon and you'll hear a kid say, Mommy, I want this. Why? That's the first stage for every one of us. Even spiritually, the first stage is the give me stage. What is that? We receive Jesus. Why? Well, let's just be honest. I don't want to go to hell. So give me Jesus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. And so the problem becomes in this stage is when you stay there. You live life in this arena. Give me, give me, give me. And just think in the natural. When people start getting to be 20, 25, and 30 and still have that mentality. Give me, give me, give me. It really gets serious when they get 50 and they're still living that way. Now to help you understand that, I wish I would have wore a pair of Depends today. Some of those grown-up diapers. Just to show us this is how we can look at 50 if I don't get out of this stage. Now, even maritally, we can get in this give-me stage right here. This is how every marriage starts. Give me, give me, give me. But if I stay in this stage, even in my marriage, you're going to have problems. It's going to lead to trouble. You know why? As much as I love my wife and as, lo as much as Shelly adores me, she can't always make me happy. That may be a big revelation to some of you. And if you don't think so, just think about the guy in, in uh, the book of Sol Song of Solomon named Solomon. He had this mentality. If I only had a different wife, now, please don't raise your hand on this, but how many of you ever thought that? Solomon thought that. And 750 wives later, he was still disappointed. Why? He lived in a realm called, give me, give me, I want this, I need this, you need to make me happy. Look over to the book of Acts chapter 8. Now, hold your place right there somehow, because we're going to come back to Luke 15. Acts chapter number 8, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to go to the second one. Now this is a passage in here about a uh, man named Simon the Sorcerer. And he began to see Peter and John pray for people. When Peter and John prayed for these people, things happened. Uh, Acts 18, begin with me, uh, verse 16, verse 17. Then they... Peter and John laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, where he says, Give me this power, this is the second stage of maturity. It's called the Use Me stage. And what this stage is here, it can still be out of a selfish ambition, a selfish motive. And really what it is, is I want fame. I want notoriety. I want to be known. I want people to recognize me. And in this stage here, it's basically saying, even toward Father God, we may say, Father God, I want to do something for you. But in essence, it's really for me. 
And so Simon right here, he wanted this gift not to bless people with the things of the kingdom, but he wanted to be known. See, this happens to us many times in life, that this is the stage we get over in, and, and we begin to look at other people in this use me stage, you've got to make me happy. In the marital situation, when you get to this stage right here, when you're always looking for to benefit you, this is where most divorces occur, right here. Why? Because it's easy to look at that other person to make you known, to make you famous, to get what you want. Now, I'm going to say some things here that may get your attention here for a little bit. Whether it's marriage or for God, when you're in the use me state and your mentality really is, is for me, it's going to let you down. God didn't create marriage just for you to be happy. And some of you are thinking right now, and it's working. And God didn't create marriage just for it to be fun and frolics and you to be happy all the time. So why did God create marriage? Well, when God drew up the blueprints for marriage, you know what he said? I'm going to get them where they'll get married. You know why? So I can kill them. Somebody's saying, kill them. What I mean by that is where you learn to die to yourself. And some of you are saying, and it's working too, I'm dying a, a slow and painful death right now. It hasn't been fun. Well, here's the bottom line on that. I must die to myself. God knew this. And to be happy in life, to be happy with God, to be happy in marriage, you've got to learn to die for yourself. It's not always about you. And so many times in our life, I think this is what happened. Make me happy, make me happy, make me happy. It's not going to happen all the time. So here was God's blueprint. He said, okay, we got two choices how we can kill them. Number one, let's get them married off. If that doesn't get them, I know what will. We'll bless them with some children. Kill them. Now, I'm talking about dying to myself, guys. My life isn't just for me to always be happy. And any time I begin to look at people to always make me happy, I'm going to live in a shallow area. Back to Luke 15. Back to Luke 15. And we're going to read parts of this. This is the prodigal son again. And I'm going to give you the third one here. Luke 15, 13. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal or wasteful living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into the fields to feed the swine or the pigs. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine or the pigs ate, but no one gave anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare? I perish with hunger. Now the third stage of maturity is found right there in verse 17. And it says, But when he came to himself, one translation says, It brought him to his senses. I like to call this the search me stage. And you know what the search me stage is about? We talked about it last week i got to quit blaming everybody else for my life. 
It's very easy to blame your parents. It's very easy to blame a boss. It's very easy to start blaming where you were born. And so if I'm not careful, when I live a life of blame, it'll keep you in the pig pens of life. It'll ultimately stunt your growth too. It's going to stop you guys. There is a, a poison that's released when I always have to blame people. And like I said, we talked about it last week. How does this pertain even to marriage? It's easy to say, it's my wife's fault. It's my wife's fault. And so right here, this guy began to get a wake-up call. If you live in this state of always blaming people, how do I get out of that? We'll go to the book of Psalm 139. I want to show you a scripture here today that will help you walk this out in your life. See, every one of us, every day, we have opportunity to blame people. I don't want to be a person to blame. I want to get in my heart just like he did, where I wake up and begin to look and think, you know what, I'm going to be responsible for my own life. And in every one of us, there's a responsibility factor even in marriage. You know what it is? Husbands, love your wives. And wives, respect your husbands. And if I'll do that, if I'll do my part, I'm going to tell you, my life is going to be blessed. Even my marriage is going to be blessed. Psalm 139, verse 23. Now check real closely the wording here. He says, search me. Notice, he didn't say, search my wife. Search my boss. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Know the condition of my heart. Try who? Me. And know my anxieties or my thoughts. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know what he's talking about here? I've got to learn to surrender. I can't keep walking in life and blaming everybody. I've got to begin to search my life, a wake-up call. And I can't live with a pride. I can't live with insecurity here. See, if I'm unteachable, I'm unreachable. And this will be a huge revelation, but the only person that I'm responsible for is my actions and my reactions. Same as you. And so if you've got a problem with blaming, man, begin to look at this. And begin to say, search me, Father God. Bring in me a heart that surrenders. Back to Luke 15. Back to Luke 15. Now we've heard the, the three stages. I'm going to give you the fourth one here. The give me stage. The use me stage. The search me stage. Now, the problem with all of these stages, you're going to fall in one of these. I'm going to tell you right now. You're living in one of those. The fourth one, verse 18. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Now, you want to see a shift right here? Notice in here how many times he said, I. You know what that means? He's finally taken responsibility for his life. If you'll notice right there, he said, I've sinned. I've blown it. 
That is a very healthy place to be in life for each one of us. When I can say to Father God, I've blown it. It's a very healthy place for me to be in my marriage. When I can look at Shelley and say, I've blown it. I made a mistake. I made a horrible choice. You know what happens in that place? There's freedom. You are on a road to living in a different type of maturity than you've ever lived before. Now look what he goes on to say in verse 19. Make me like one of your hired servants. That's the last stage. And I believe that's the stage that every one of us need to strive to get to. If you'll notice there, he didn't say, take me. He said, make me. How many of you remember the scripture in the New Testament says, He's the potter, I'm the clay. Mold me and shape me and make me. So as long as I allow Father God to keep making me and molding me, I'm on my road to some great things that happen in my life. And the bottom line is, there's many times in my life when the Lord is working on me and making me, it's not always comfortable. It's not always fun. But oh man, does it not lead to great places. Now he says here, make me. Make me. I'm a son, but better than that, make me a servant. Make me a servant in the kingdom of God. You know, many people come to church, you know what their thought is? What will the church do for me? But is there ever a thought, what can I do at the church? See, it falls back to, to what President John F. Kennedy said way back in the 60s. Ask not what you can do for your, or ask not what the country can do for you. Ask what you can do for your country. That'd be a novel idea in America right now, wouldn't it? And I believe this is very important, but make me, Father God, a servant with my wife. Make me a servant with my children. Make me a servant at work. And when I begin to have that attitude that I'm going to live with the heart of a servant, I'm going to tell you, you're going to see great victories in your life. Years ago, I read one of John Maxwell's books. And if you're ever wanting to read books on leadership, get John Maxwell's books. Start with the 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. Great book. But in one of his books, he has a, a chapter called The Bob Principle. And if your name's Bob, I'm not picking on you. This is just part of the chapter. This is kind of how the Bob principle goes. If Sally has a problem with Bob, and Jane has a problem with Bob, and Susie has a problem with Bob, Bob's probably the problem. But see, many times we don't want to look like that in our lives. I would rather blame. I don't want you, Lord, to make me. And I was flying home the other day, and I was reading on this airplane about this baseball player who's getting ready to retire. And he began to talk about all his life, all that he accumulated. He said, what I get paid to play baseball was ridiculous, all the money. But then he began to talk about all the marriages in his life. And ultimately he says this, I'll never get married again. So in this, he implies that all the downfalls of his marriage were because of all the wives he had. Listen to this right here. This is a definition that I heard John Maxwell use the other day about character. This would be a good one to write down. This would be a good one to put on your desk. And it says, character is closing the gap 
between knowing and doing. And I looked at that and I thought, I need to put that on my desk. Character is closing the gap between knowing and doing. Now, in saying all that, go back with me to Job chapter 1 where we started. Job chapter number 1. And I want you to see some things here as we end this morning. That maturity, I can't stay where I'm at. i got to keep progressing, guys. And guess what? When it comes to maturity, you determine. You determine where you're at. You determine where you're going. And you can stay in the give me stage. You can stay in the use me stage. You can stay in the search me stage. But I'm going to tell you, you're going to live unhappy. Now, I want you to note some things, and we've already read this once, but pay real close attention to the numbers. Job 1, verses 2 and 3. And Job had seven sons and three daughters were born to him. His possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. So what's the point? Well, turn to the last chapter of Job, chapter 42. And I want you to see something in here. And you're going to see a truth that when I start living from the inside out, God is going to bless you. The only way that happens is when I become mature. I grow up spiritually. I take on the heart of a servant. Job 42. Look with me in verse 12. Now the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning. Now remember what we read about the beginning? He had more than anybody in the east. That dude was a blessed fellow in the beginning. Now here he is in the last part of his life, and it goes on to say, For he had 14,000 sheep. How many did he have in the beginning? 7,000 for you ones who didn't pay attention. And he goes on to say, And he had 6,000 camels and 1,000 yoke of oxen and 1,000 female donkeys. Now you know what happens here? God blesses and doubles everything the man had. I don't know about you, but I thought, man, that is a great, great revelation here. That God wants to bless everything I have on the outside. But look what it says in verse 13. He also had seven sons and three daughters. So you know what? Remember in the story, he lost all ten of his children, but now he's got ten more back. But God even doubled that. How'd he double that, Pastor? Your children live forever. And so not only did God restore his family right there, God was going to bless him in the eternity. Verse 14. And he called the name of the first, whatever, and the name of the second, whatever, and the name of the third, that's our double whatever. You can pronounce them however you want. I'd have butchered them. Verse 15. In all the land were found no women so beautiful as the daughters of Job. And their father gave them inheritance among their brothers. And I looked at this. And he named all his children, and his daughters were beautiful. And he gave them all an inheritance. The true heart of a father. 
Every father in here, we want, we want our children to inherit something. And Job was able to do this. But look what he goes on to say. After this, Job lived 140 years, and he saw his children and his grandchildren for four generations. And I looked at that and I thought, what a blessing. Not only did God bless him in possessions, he doubled everything he had. God blessed him with children. And then on top of that, he got to experience the joy of seeing his children, his grandchildren, his great-grandchildren to his four generations. But it doesn't stop there. So Job died old and full of days. And you look and you say, how can that happen? When I learn to live bigger on the inside than the outside, God will bless your marriage. He'll bless your children. He'll bless your grandchildren. I don't know about you, but it's a great thought for me to read this and think, at the end of my life, I would love to be out on my balcony with all my great, 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 great grandkids circled around and my children all the way around, and I could look them in the eye and say, I live life to its fullest. God blessed me in every measure of my life, just like he did Job. And when I read there, a man who said, I'm going to live blamelessly. I'm going to live upright before the Lord. I don't care what people are doing. I don't care what people are saying. I'm going to live for God. I'm going to fear God unlike any other time in my life, and I'm going to shun evil, and I'm going to begin to serve God in ways that I never have. Why? Because I see all these promises. I see if God did that for him, he wants to do it for you. And so many of us would say, oh, Father God, bless me with all you bless Job, but am I willing to do what Job did to get this? See, right now in our society, we have people that would rather run with the crowd than do what God says. Well, this is what Hollywood says. Well, if you're listening to Hollywood, you're going to be goofed up. I'm going to read the Bible and I'm going to obey God to the best of my ability. But it's going to come this way. I've got to put on a heart of a servant. So do you. Stand on your feet with me.